Hey, thanks for listening to Everyday Greatness. It's a nice little show brought to you by our major sponsor, ARA Group, an employee-owned company that provides essential services for your facility and infrastructure and is one of Australia's biggest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness isn't rocket science. We're just trying to make you feel proud again of simply being a good, solid human being by speaking to some real people who found that the strength they needed to deal with any challenge in their life had been inside them the whole time. The ARA Group is proud to stand alongside Everyday Greatness, and we all hope that you enjoy the show. When some people face challenges, they get selfish and become all about themselves and their recovery at the expense of others. Some, though, get selfless, and they try to help others and try to make the world a better place. And our guest today is founder of Chemism. That's C-H-E-M-I-S-M. Chemism. And Eugene Chong is helping people with disability take their destiny into their own hands and find self-employment. Just genius. And after completing an industrial design degree at university, Eugene had been a designer at Freedom Furniture where he had a stroke and then acquired severe brain damage. And after getting back on his feet, he started looking for work. But as a person with a disability, he was a little insulted to be offered menial, simple jobs at a minimum wage, like stacking boxes and doing data entry. So feeling like he had more to offer the world, he decided to start a platform that pairs people with disability who have a drive to add value back to the world. And with able-bodied Australian business people who act as mentors and advisors to help the person with the disability to start their own business. And Everyday Greatness is currently using Chemism services to help promote the show to a greater audience. And the main host and creator of Everyday Greatness is Barnaby Howth, and he's also an acquired brain damage survivor following a stroke. And thanks to Eugene, Barnaby, and Look Studio Australia, the company that produces Everyday Greatness, are introduced to FASA Digital. That's F-A-S-S-A, FASA Digital, who now promote everything that's great about everyday greatness. And in a world that's getting better at providing opportunities for people with disability, Eugene Chong has been ahead of the curve and leading that charge and it's a real pleasure to welcome him to Everyday Greatness today. Over to you, Barnaby, because you've got Eugene. Thank you, Scotty, and thank you for joining us, Eugene. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Barnaby. So, Eugene, tell me about your stroke. How did that happen? Okay. So it all started 12 years ago. I graduated from the University of New South Wales in the Bachelor of Industrial Design. So immediately after uni, I started working for Freedom Furniture where I designed their, their sofas or couches. Um, I was only there for two years. And then one evening I decided to go for a job after work, as you would. So I would drive down to my local oval, um, create oval. And I remember that evening I on the drive there, I forgot my phone. So I forget um, I don't really need it because I'll be home soon anyway. So when I reached over, I did 
laps around the Ovalis always. And on my third lap, I was I got really tired. I was like breathing really heavily. So I just thought I was unfit and haven't haven't jogged for a while. So I sat down on grass to take my breath. And while I did that, I decided, you know, I might call it the evening and go home. So I got up to walk back to my car, but I fell back down because my legs stopped working. So I panicked. And when I fell down, like gravity kind of like intensified. It was like that pressurized feeling you get when you go really deep underwater. I had that feeling. And yeah, it was so weird. And then sounds started warping and then my eyesight started getting blurry. Like, you know, I couldn't define things. And then suddenly a tingling feeling shot up my right arm and I panicked. I thought I was having a heart attack. Then I remembered, hang on, that was your left arm. So I looked around for help and all the way on the other side of the cricket oval was a playground and the mother and the child were there playing on the swings. Now, I did not know, I couldn't walk because my legs had stopped working, so I started crawling there. I crawled across the whole oval looking for help. And as I crawled, that pressurized feeling got even worse. My hearing started getting worse. And my eyesight, what was just colored blobs, started going black and white. Um, I didn't know at the time, but I was slowly blacking out. As soon as I reached the playground, I knew I reached there. I could feel the wood chips on my on my stomach. I called for help, and the mom came running up to me and asked, "What's wrong?" So I told her something was happening and I needed help. So I heard her rummaging in the handbag and she told me she didn't have a phone. And I had to admit as well, I didn't have my phone either. Now next to the playground is a car park where I parked my car. And next to the car park is a train station. And luckily for me, a train had pulled out that evening from the city and people were getting off and walking to their cars to drive home. I heard the mom run off to get help. Then I heard footsteps running towards me, and I felt some hands grab me by the shoulders. I couldn't see anything but now, just gray blobs. I heard a man's voice asking, what's wrong, man? And I told him, like, something bad's happening, and I need an ambulance. I heard the dial turns of his phone, and that's the last thing I remembered because I just blacked out into unconsciousness. When I was unconscious, I had all these dreams. They were so vivid that I thought I was just living life as normal for a long time. Later, I would find out that these dreams was actually me having a really long out-of-body experience. Suddenly I woke up, I came back to consciousness and found myself in a hospital bed at Royal North Shore. There were all these tubes coming out of me, out of my nose, out of my arms, and there was a pump connected to my head. It was pumping the blood out of a hole in my skull. (laughs) 
and I found out I was in a coma for about three weeks. So I spent about six months in hospital recovering from the stroke. Later on, I was transferred to rehab, and I wanted to find out why I had the stroke. So I went to a talk one evening about stroke victims. The lady gets up and says stroke victims have three common characteristics. They drink a lot, smoke a lot, or are really old, like age between 80 to 90. Now, I was only 31. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. So I put up my hand and asked the lady, you know, I did not none of that. Then she said, with 30% of stroke victims, they can't explain why they have the stroke. So the only thing I took away from the evening was I was a medical anomaly. And I went there looking for answers, but I ended up leaving with more questions. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> wow, that's an incredible story, Eugene. Incredibly well told and incredibly well bounced back from. So tell me about your rehabilitation phase. How long did that take and how hard has it been for you? Well, I was in hospital for six months. I think I was re- rehab for four or five months. Um, the stroke had disabled me in two ways. Like physically, the connection between my brain and the whole right side of my body had been severe, severed, sorry, severed. And I think the technical term is hemoplegia. It's like a paralysis of like one side of the body. I was also disabled intellectually. So my stroke was not a blood clot. It was a blood vessel rupture in the base of my brain where my cerebellum is. And the doctors had to remove a part of my cerebellum because they couldn't stop the bleeding. So now I have one with vertigo. So everything starts spinning. Nothing triggers it off. As soon as I open my eyes, it starts happening. So I'm kind of missing the part of the brain that everyone has that allows them to balance and reach equilibrium. So in the first day of my rehab, I was told like I would be wheelchair bound for the rest of my life because of these two disabilities. But I was in a four-year relationship at that time, and I was not being I was not used to being wheeled around in a wheelchair. And I didn't want to trouble my ex-girlfriend. So I told the physio I wanted to learn to walk again as independently as possible. So I graduated from a wheelchair to a rollator to an A-frame. And now I walk with a walking stick. So for 12 months, every day of the week, I had OT, speech therapy, hydrotherapy, physiotherapy. I had to reteach myself all over again. The, even the smaller actions that we take for granted, things like standing, walking, talking, and eating. So doing all that with like a vertigo and the hemiplegia. Yeah, it was physically tough, but you know, I kind of powered through it. Yeah. And an incredible story just got more incredible. How, how hard was it for you to stay positive during all of this negativity and darkness 
surrounding your recovery? Well, the step was step. It wasn't really hard because I was, like I said, I was in a four-year relationship. So my ex-girlfriend kind of visited me quite often. And, you know, that was my reason to, to walk again. And just before I had the stroke, I got it like a rabbit. So, you know, the rabbit also became my purpose to get well because I wanted to see it again. And lastly was my job. My um, manager from Freedom, he came in quite frequently and his brother-in-law was the CEO of Freedom at the time. So my manager had quite a big say in the way things were running freedom. So he held my job for me for about whew, about a year and a bit. Yeah. So yeah, that was my motivation, I guess, to get better. Very cool. Very cool. They held that job for you. Yeah. That was you, nice. You said you were only young, 31, did you say? Yeah. When you had your stroke. What were your main goals before your stroke? Well, to 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 understand the goals, we have to understand that going to the stroke, you know, everything was peachy for me. Like I had a great job of freedom. I was moving up the ladder, as you would say. Um, I had a great romantic relationship, and because those two were great, um, family life at home was great with the parents. So my goals were. You know, the usual, like get married, have kids, get a well-paying job, get a house, start my own business. Yeah. So then the stroke pulled the rug out of out of those dreams. <laughs> Did you have to reassess your life? And what were your dreams after you reassessed everything after your stroke? Well, when, when I was in a hospital, I kind of thought of it this way. Like my reality or uh, uh, my life was like a plate and it was held up by three pillars. So one pillar was my past, which my family and my cultural black background. One pillar was the future, which was, you know, the family wanted to start in my romantic relationships. And one was the present, which was my work. So past, present, and future. And these pillars directly related to my goals. And the stroke kind of affected those pillars and they all started crumbling. So culture-wise, if I had this stroke from, from, from where I was originally from, which is Malaysia, now Eastern countries, like a stroke, there's very little, very little to no support for stroke victims like in Australia. I can say that with confidence. And something like an acquired disability, like a disability alone is something reserved only for elderly people. So as a young person with an acquired disability, my parents didn't really know how to react to it. Now, if I was born with a disability, they would have reacted to it better. But with an acquired disability, all they knew was sympathy and to feel sorry and yeah, they just kind of let me vegetate in the corner because, you know, they thought I wouldn't amount to much in terms of um, career. Eugene, and, this, no, sorry, you yeah, keep going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's the second pillar on the romantic relationship side, like 
my ex-girlfriend decided to end it just after rehab. So because it was too much for her to handle, I was a bit confused because she gave me all this hope to kind of get better rehab only to end it. So yeah, it was kind of weird. So in order to rebuild that pillar, like it would require a lot of energy, like meeting someone, going out, socializing, you know, it required a lot of energy. And the last pillar, which was my work, I couldn't actively industrial design anymore because I was right-handed. So I can't do things like draw or build my prototypes because industrial design is very hands-on. But I had all this industrial design knowledge in my head because I just graduated from uni. So I figured, like, I wanted to use this knowledge that I had productively and do something, give back to the community somehow. So in the hospital, I had to think carefully about which pillar to rebuild because I only had the energy now to rebuild only one pillar because I had to divert energy to recover from the stroke physically and mentally. In the end, I decided to build, rebuild work and design something that could benefit a group of people instead. Yeah. Eugene, this is an incredible story and I am gripped to it and I want to hear more. But to get some more, I'm going to pass over to Scott Gibbons to ask you a few more questions. Yeah. G'day, Eugene. Mate, you're, the way you describe what happened to you is just so graphic and, and, <laughs> and refreshing because most folks can't describe what actually happened where others can relive it with them and that's exactly what you did. All of us here in the studio were just grimacing and pulling faces. It was, yeah, brilliant way you told that story. Thank you for that. No, I, I wish you didn't have to tell it, but thanks for the way <laughs> you did. So, Eugene, when you had the stroke, what sort of jobs were you offered when you started applying for jobs after the stroke? Well, um, when Sendling, I, I went to an agency that Sendling recommended for discipline employment and the, this were the guy's exact words. Like he asked me to bring my CV. And he took one look at it and he said, you are way overqualified for any of the job I had. Now, I was taken aback because, you know, the qualification I had wasn't exactly something special. So <laughs> I was curious as to what jobs they had. So it's like based on your qualifications, the best job we can give is data you're putting. Now, that was a far cry and a big difference to what I did at Freedom, you know. Sure. At Freedom, I... I oversaw the whole new product development process from raw material to the finished product. You know, I designed and manufactured the thing. So I did a lot of cerebral stuff there and the other everything was, a, yeah, it was a big far cry from that. So what, what did you think that you were capable of? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, like, like consultancy, I guess, like, you know, something to do with industrial design and that ain't putting in nothing to do with industrial design. <laughs> yeah. No, that's pretty true. <laughs> pretty true. <laughs> so how did you decide or why did you decide to start chemism? 
and just for the folks, C-H-E-M-I-S-M, Chemism. Interesting yeah. name. So what, what did you decide to start it? Well, back in high school, um, my middle school master always used to tell us that life in Australia is all about giving it a go. Giving it no. a go. Isn't that true? Yeah. Giving it a go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, people with a di- without a disability, in, when they come to employment, they can either choose traditional employment or self-employment. They can choose it very freely. Now, for the ones who choose self-employment, they some of them find it really difficult to start a business and manage a business. Now, we have to understand that this difficulty is magnified for people with disability because not only do they have to manage a business, but they also have to manage a disability, which most business owners don't have to do. Yeah. Now, the... I think of chemism like this. In the physical space, we can see considerations given to people with disability. What I mean by that is like we see chair ramps, we see parking spaces, and we see toilets. Yes. So chemism, chemism is very similar to those considerations. It's just that we are transposing it into the intellectual space. We're creating a metaphorical ramp to make entrepreneurship and self-employment more accessible to people with disabilities so that they, it's easy for them to accomplish it. And, you know, like, like life in Australia is about giving a go. We just want them to give it a go. And, and how successful has it been? Um, I, I haven't... I, the the way the way Amazon works is like we, you know traditional accelerators and incubators at the moment kind of keep their participants house in a closed environment like they they connect with their own set of mentors and stuff. But Kemsum intends to open up that interaction to the entire Australian community, business community, uh, to help you know, people with disabilities start the businesses. Now, the reason for that is the whole workforce participation uh, statistics from the ABS. Like, you know, people with disabilities only have a 53%, you know, workforce participation rate. And that is low compared to 84% for people without disability. So, you know, I have garnered some interest from people who are willing to help you know, people disability start the business, but it's not a resounding, you know, it's not a huge amount of interest. So I've decided to put Kevzum on hold for a while and go back to UNSW and do my master's by research and do research into disability and entrepreneurship and self-employment. And I intend to write a paper on, you know, approach chemism from an academic angle because I think it will give me more clout and it will give me a louder voice to get more people involved in it. Good on you. By golly, yeah. that's outstanding if you're going back and you're going to do your master's. That's brilliant, mate. So if, if people want to either 
those people with a disability or those employers, the, the Australian business people who want to give people with a disability a, a fair go, how would they go about that? Is there a site that they go to? Do you have a site that they go to? How do they, how do they help give those um, people a start with, with this, self-employment? Okay, so at the moment uh, I'm trying to create a bank, like the capacity to help um, people with disabilities start a business. So I'm trying to create a bank of professionals, whether you are a lawyer or an accountant or a graphic designer, just head over to www.chemism.com.au and just register your interest to help us build that bank. And then we will contact you when people with disabilities come on and look for, you know. So those people with a skill or those people with a business, if it's a business, if they go to chemism, C-H-E-M-I-S-M. Yep. If they go to chemism. Dot com, dot com, dot dot au. Au. And, yep. and then they can go to chemism.com.au, log their details down, and maybe that's the start of an introduction. Yeah, yeah. We, we just want to create that bank to, to help people to facilitate more. Yep. That's brilliant. You're brilliant. I love your work. I, I love your strength, your tenacity, you. your vision. You're an amazing man. You are. You're an amazing man who can bring a tear to the eye. You're, you're fabulous. I'm going to hand you back to Barnaby Health now, Eugene. Thanks. Thanks, thanks so much for your candor. You're, you're, thanks, man. You're a magic man. Thank you, Scott. And I agree, Eugene. You are pretty bloody good. Hey, bye. Now, <laughs> you already have a fairly solid bank of people behind chemism. Yeah. It's taken a lot of people to get chemism off the ground. What's been your favorite part of the journey so far? creating chemism the favorite part actually um i want to tell you a little story when i was looking at freedom i i designed a um, range of furniture called the jackson and you know the jackson when a piece of furniture goes to the factory it goes it goes in stages like uh frame fabric foam and feet So one day I walked down at the factory when I was working at Freedom and on the conveyor belts was just full of Jacksons. So it was I, I had a great sense of satisfaction that I was kind of doing something right because people were buying this product. And that's the same with Camzum. Like, you know, I'm the product I'm designing, which is Camzum, isn't for me. It's for people like yourself and people like Danette. So when I get feedback from people like you, Danette, um, Fabrizio, Cam, on how, you know, Camzum can be used, then, um, yeah, that's, that's the best part for me because, like, the whole idea of industrial design is it is this a very selfless act. You design a product or a service, you don't design it for yourself because if you design it for yourself, it's just called arts and crafts. <laughs> you, know, you want to design it for a greater crowd, and that's the whole purpose of it. Very, very well said. <laughs> Now, you told some pretty graphic stories about your stroke earlier. Do you hold on to any bitterness about your stroke, that you had a stroke when the world was your oyster? Or are you proud of the man you are today who's adding so much value back to the world? 
Um, I I hold absolutely no bitterness because my stroke was a genetic thing. I was born with thin blood vessel walls in the brain. So it was kind of, I was drawing the shortest straw, I guess. Um, neither am I beaming with pride because like chemism is like a reflex action, like because you know, as when I when I had the stroke, I was kind of tro- if you think about it, industrial designers are problem solvers. We we identify a problem in society and we solve it with a product or service solution. And and when I had the stroke and when I was looking for employment and I wanted to be self-employed, that was the problem. And I had to think my way out of this. So all my industrial design instincts kind of kicked in naturally. And I gave, yeah, chemism was a product. So yeah, I, I really hope it can help a lot of people. Well, I can tell you for one person with acquired disability, it's helping us a lot. So thank you so much. And Thanks, let me ask you another one. Your stroke was over a decade ago. What are your biggest ongoing challenges day to day? Um, day-to-day challenges are physical, like, you know, I have mobility issues, so I have to do a lot of physiotherapy. Also, I have a lot of mental health challenges. I've been diagnosed with PTSD and severe depression, so I have to see a lot of psychologists and stuff. And, yeah, this vertigo, like, everything spins all the time. So in September, I'm going to see one of Australia's top neurologists in, um, Melbourne, and I'm crossing my fingers that they have some answers to solve this medical problem. Yes. <laughs> a bit earlier, Scott was gushing about how strong you are as a human being and how incredible you are. What do you say to people when they come up to you, assuming that you're some guru on overcoming challenges? What advice do you give them when they ask how they can overcome their challenge? Um, I, I actually have a martial arts background, so I, I, I aspire a lot to Bruce Lee and his philosophies and his teaching. And one of his famous uh, quotes was like, he said, he wants everyone to be like water. What he meant by that was like, if you have a stream of water and you put that obstacle in the stream of water, the water doesn't stop. It finds a way to get around that obstacle. And that's and life is like the stream of water. If, if something you know, if if uh, something happens, you find a way around it. You don't let it stop you. Yeah, Eugene, you could teach a lot of people a lot of things. I'm going to pass you back to Scott, but thank you so much for joining us today and answering those questions and telling your story. Thank you. Thanks, Barry. You must feel like a ping pong ball in the wind being bounced around this much, Eugene. I've got to say thank you to you because you're giving disabled folk and nobody chooses really to be disabled, but you're giving disabled folk a dignity and a new reason to strive and the, the strive that I hear in you is inspiring. It's not just words. You absolutely inspire. And any able-bodied person listening to this that ever thinks they have a bad day, you don't really. You don't really. Just try swapping five minutes in your world. So thank you 
Eugene, for joining us. Just go to their website, which is chemism.com.au. And I've got to say thank you all for listening because you're invited to share this podcast. And if you have children that think they're having a bad day or teenagers that are struggling or you're having a bad time yourself, again, pass this podcast along because Eugene's words will help strive them. If they can wake up and get out of bed and, and stand and balance and do all of those things, then they're already having a winner of a day. I've got to say thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fifth year in a row, major sponsor five years in a row. That's wonderful of them. Look Studio Australia, amazing, the quality they give us for recording this podcast. Thank you to them. And I hope when you put your device down later or you you lift your head up, put your shoulders back, and you walk down the street feeling proud to be an everyday Joe or Joey and Baker Donuts. Uh, you can listen to Everyday Greatness next week where Barnaby will be talking to CEO of anti-violence group Enough is Enough. That's Ken Marslu. He's an AM. This will be a discussion with Barnaby about Ken's drive to stamp out violence in society after his son was shot dead during a robbery. And they'll also talk about how everybody in society needs to be accountable for their actions and to take care of their own responsibilities. Personally, I'm very proud to be an ambassador for Enough is Enough. I know Ken Marsley really, really well. He is a top bloke. And if you get the chance to hear that podcast and to share it, well, I'm telling you, you've got to do it. But we hope you can join us for that one. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about the show, just go to our website, which is everydaygreatness.com. .au. That's everydaygreatness.com.au. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening. Eugene, you are a superstar. You are an absolute superstar. I'm Scott Gibbons with the amazing Barnaby Howe. Thanks for listening to Everyday Greatness.